Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. We have such a treat for you today. So many of you have asked if we would try and get Simon Sebag Montefiore onto the show to talk about the Romanovs, which you all absolutely adored. Um, he came on a couple of weeks ago to talk to us about his new paperbacks, but he has returned. Simon, hello. Hi, lovely to be back with you, Alex. Oh, you have no idea how many people have asked us to do this podcast with you on the Romanovs because you haven't really touched on them beyond the odd mention here and there so far. No, 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 no. I have, it's been and it's been a while since I've it's been a while since I've been talking talking about them or thinking about them. But how nice to be back with this lovely collection of people, the Romanovs. Absolutely. Oh, I just, so what we'll do, we'll just, we'll talk about some of the, the most famous ones and you can tell us about some of the ones that perhaps should get more attention. But I suppose it makes sense, first of all, if we talk about Michael Romanov and 1613 and how this 300 year dynasty got to the throne. Yes, it started, I mean, they started in 1613 in a very inauspicious way. Uh, Russia was a failed state. It had been invaded uh, by the by, the Swedes, the Poles, the Tartars from the south, it was really falling apart, and they'd had they'd had pretenders, the first, second, and third false Dmitri um, among them, and, um, and 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 so they needed to choose. They needed to find a a figurehead, a, a patriotic figurehead, and so they found this boy who was extremely young. He was only about sixteen, and he was he had a stammer and a limp. So he was not a very strong or formidable character. He was probably illiterate. And he was living with his mother in hiding at, um, at a monastery. And they sent from Moscow um, a, a delegation. And when they, the delegation arrived, his mother, it was a bit like a sort of Monty Python scene, because <laughs> yes. the delegation of, the, of boyars and bishops and what have you arrived at the monastery, and they, they said to him, um, they, said, they sent a message up saying, we've come to ask him to be czar. And the mother just said, go away. And the boy just burst into tears because all the, all the people who'd claimed the throne for the last sort of seven years had all been killed one by one. And there was no kingdom left, really. And, and so they sort of, they, they, they refused to be czar, but they, but the people insisted. And in the end, they accepted the throne for Michael Romanov. And he was really a kind of quite a distant connection to, the last, the last Tsars of the, of the Rurikid dynasty, the, the sort of legitimate dynasty. 
Um, they were descended through Ivan the Terrible's first wife and his first sons. And so um, it was it was really a tenuous link, but there was no one else who was the combination. He had the combination of innocence and simplicity and yet the touch of sacred monarchy, sacred dynasty about him. So that's why they chose him. And he had a long reign. He was not a very particularly good leader, um, not a particularly good czar, but the, him and the people around him put together, recreated Russian autocracy um, and reconquered gradually over, over 20 years. They reconquered Russia from these invaders. And their success um, laid down the, the, um, uh, the role of the Russian leader, which you still see today, which is as, as a sort of military commander. Before then, they'd been a kind of sacred, almost priest-like position. And he changed the nature of Russian rulership. Uh, even though he was not a commander himself, and in fact was not very good at anything, but his son succeeded to the throne, Alexei, and that was, and, the, and you know, when a new, when a new dynasty is, is, is successful, that's, that's the foundation for longevity. I always really, I liked Alexei, so he was conservative, wasn't he? Um, he was actually conservative, yes. But, I was, he always comes across as rather a good chap to me. Yeah, Alexei, I mean, he was, he was, he was, the, now he was the father of Ivan, the, of, of Peter the Great. So. I love his indignance after we behead yeah. Charles the First. Yeah, he was very indignant. But a lot of, <laughs> well, basically all kings were pretty indignant after we beheaded Charles, Charles the mm. First. Um, but the thing about him was that, uh, he also had a bit of a temper. Remember, he, he was riding along one day and somebody jumped, somebody sort of approached him and he stabbed them with his staff and killed them. Um, because all czars carry these very pointed staffs. Um, Ivan the Terrible had actually killed his own son with his staff and, and Alexei killed someone, just an innocent passerby with his, because, you know, these things happen in Russia. But, um, but yes, he was, he was actually an extremely impressive character. He ruled for a long time. He started the sort of conquest of what we now call Ukraine and, he, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was intelligent, um, and he really laid the foundations, founded by his father, but he really laid foundations for, um, for the, for the Romanov dynasty and for, and for the creation of the, Ru- of the, of the state, the Russian state, which was still called Muscovy, and it was still essentially a Muscovite state, not yet a mo- sort of an, an early modern, it was not yet an early modern, um, empire as it became, but he, he was extremely tall, and very interested in, in the mechanics of things, very interested in guns and buildings. And so it's not surprising that his son was Peter the Great. Not at all. And I, I love Peter the Great. He is one of my all-time favourite historical characters, partly because he's absolutely bonkers. But there's a reason he's absolutely bonkers. Um, Sophia, did, did you cover her much in the book? Yeah, Sophia's <laughs> a, Sophia, his sister. Yes. She's in the book a lot. And um, she's, a, she's there, there are a lot of fascinating women in this book, by the way. Mm. One of the fun things about about the, about the Romanov dynasty is that um, you know there was a whole century when Russia was essentially ruled by women, which I'm sure we'll come to in a second. But yes, you know they they were you know Russia, which was which is quite a chauvinistic country. I think I'm I think I'm safe in saying that even today, even in the 21st century. Um, was ruled by these really astonishing selection of women, some of whom were really very gifted, some of whom were, to, were kind of complete ogres and monsters out of, out of kind of Game of Thrones. 
But Peter the Great um, was that very rare thing. Um, he, he knew what he wanted to do. He had the acumen himself to do it. And he had the resources to achieve the things he wanted to achieve. So those are the three kind of essentials, aren't they, of politics. And he was, you're right, he was an absolutely extraordinary character. I mean, he was six foot seven. He was a giant, a proper giant with um, twitches. I mean, he regularly had fits. He, he was a very strange person, but he was also had the constitution, the iron constitution of an ox. And he also had a very short temper. He was fascinated with how things worked and how you took them apart. Ships, uh, uh, cannons and guns, but also humans. And when he tortured, when he tortured people, he tortured them himself. He, his when dentistry. He, his dentistry. And when he, when, when he, when he ran, when he had, when he launched terrors, which he regularly did, he was very paranoid and ran his own secret police effectively. And when he arrested people, including his own son, um, he tortured them to death himself by hand. Um, but at the same time, he was very fascinated, you're right, by bodies and dentistry. Um, he studied anatomy in Holland. And um, then he bought a whole lot of tools, surgical tools, and he liked to try them out on his own um, courtiers. And if you said, I've got a sore foot or I've got bad, my teeth are aching, he'd insist that he pulled out your teeth or cut or, or amputated your foot himself. And so after a while, people learned if you... If you had a, um, if you had any kind of ailment or ague or aching, you certainly didn't mention it in front of the emperor. He but also he, doesn't he have um, still in St Petersburg? Is there not a museum of inane tat that he accumulated? Just yeah, he's got insanity. He's got, yes, he's got his um, Kunstkammer, his curiosities. Mm. He was fascinated with kind of babies with their heads joined together or with two heads or. Um, he was very fascinated by the heads of the people he cut off. He, when he executed large numbers of people, he, he did he did it himself a lot. And what he was very interested in was um, if how long people sat up after he'd chopped their head off. By the way, one of the one of the people he was chopping their head off really impressed him because when it was his turn to to be beheaded, he stepped forward and he just kicked the head of the man before him out of the way. And I and um, Peter said. That's a brave man. I'm going to spare him, and he spared his life and let him go. Which was very, very Peter. That's very Petrine behaviour. But, but basically, he created modern Russia. He had a vision. He changed Russia from a Muscovite state in capitals in Moscow. Um, he he changed the nature of it from a sort of religious from a, from a religious remote Asia, Asiatic state to a European state. He created the Russian Empire. He defeated the the Swedes. Uh, who challenged him. They, the, the, Charles XII, the king of Sweden, invaded Russia. And it was the first of those great invasions, of which there are three, of course, Charles XII of, of Sweden, um, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte and Hitler. All of them failed. And the, the, the latter two should have looked back to Charles XII because Charles XII was a brilliant commander, but he was, but he was beaten by Peter the Great. And Peter the Great commanded his own, his own army at that battle and won it. And of course, that put great pressure on all the other male Romanovs who followed because they all wanted to be Peter the Great. Peter the Great was the one to copy. And I should add that on top of the politics, I mean, he really was a fascinating person. When you read his letters, he, he would literally threaten people. He'd say, like, 
if you don't do what I tell you, I'm gonna literally gonna come over and, and knock your teeth out. And he would. But he was also, <laughs> he was also the Iron Man of international historical partying. And yes. The, would, is it the Society of Bacchus? The Society of Bacchus and much else. I mean, it was very like sort of Led, Led Zeppelin on tour, but worse, but with, with death. I mean, people, several of his, several of his top ministers died of alcohol poisoning during his parties. People were killed during his parties. At one point, somebody stabbed a servant to death with a fork. They got so drunk. And regularly, Peter the Great himself would just pass out under the table. They couldn't have been less politically correct. There were naked girls, dwarves. Lots of dwarves. Giants, dwarves, and lots of girls, and a lot of sex and vomiting and dying. It was just... And, you know, things were just... Whole houses were destroyed. Um, And regularly... Peter the Great suddenly turned kind of political and accused someone of corruption and then beat them and, 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 and sort of, you know, knock their, knock their faces in. So he was altogether the man who created Russia as we know it, but also one of the most terrifying tyrants of history. Yes, I absolutely love that he also spent a spell living in Deptford as well. Oh, the Deptford, the Deptford Peter the Great is very <laughs> important. Um, the orgies that he had in, um, Evelyn's house where he, where he, they, he destroyed a whole sort of rather courtly mansion. He destroyed it. He, he played, um, him and his, him and his courtiers got drunk, defecated everywhere, wiped their bottoms on the, on the, um, on the, uh, on the curtains and, and then, and then played, um, wheelbarrow races in the garden and destroyed the, all the hedges. Um, so he, but he came to, you know, he spent, he spent some time in London and he visited William the third in, um, in, in, in Kensington Palace, which is, which is, uh, so it's, I always look, always look at Kensington Palace. I'm, I don't think of Princess Diana, I think of Peter the Great. Well, they have the, um, the famous portrait, don't they? Is it Kensington Palace? Yeah. Is it Lily? Yeah. yeah, and they have, but anyway, he was, he is just, he is just a person who you just can't, can't, he's one of those fascinating people you cannot find out enough about him. Um, but, but a very, very, but very, very interesting person as well. Very interesting, talented. I think one thing that really interests me about Peter the Great is you would expect such a <laughs> such a rampant man to produce a male line um, worthy of his name, but he doesn't, does he? No, I mean this is always a problem if you kill your heir, if you kill your eldest son, um, especially in a you know in an era when child mortality was quite high, so people die did die a lot, you know, children die often didn't make it to adulthood, so it's very unwise, of course. You know, Russian, Russian tyrants found it very hard to control their heirs, their sons. And just as Ivan the Terrible had killed his, so Peter the Great, um, drove his son to revolt and the son escaped and, uh, Peter brought him back and then beat him to death and tortured him to death. Which is quite something to kill your own son. Not many, not many leaders have done that, though quite a lot have actually come to think of it. Constantine the Great, Abbas the Great of Persia, Herod the Great, a lot of great, a lot of greats kill their own sons. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe that's how they get the title because they eliminate all other competition, even if it's their own child. Probably that's probably true. But but you're right. He leaves. One of the most interesting things about him is his love life, and he had an amazing, um, he had an amazing love life. I mean, he actually executed one of his mistresses and walked with her to the to the um, to the scaffold. And kissed her, and, and she thought she was going to be let off because she, you know, she had an affair, 
with um, with the emperor, and he, he just said, "You've got to die." You, 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 she aborted she she aborted her babies, her newborn her babies. She she exposed her babies, which were born out of wedlock, and she was caught, and she. She was very beautiful and very young. I mean, she was she was nineteen, I think, when she when she was executed. And when she was executed, she, she was and she was Scottish. She was she was called Hamilton. And when um when she was beheaded, Peter the Great went and got the head out of the basket and kissed it on the lips, and then dropped it into the basket. And of course, even the Russian crowd who were who were not who were not too shockable, they just gasped in horror, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, I always found a lot of parallels between her and Catherine Howard. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. But, you know, the interesting thing was that he was also very meritocratic. He wasn't really very interested in marrying, um, in, in marrying kind of princesses or aristocrats. You know, his, his, the love of his life, who became Catherine I, the Empress Catherine I, was, was really a camp follower, not much senior to a prostitute. She'd had affairs with all sorts of people. She'd been captured naked and, and marched into the Russian camp literally naked. And, um, and he saw her, and she became his laundress. And then he married her, had children with her. And, um, and you know, when he died, he left the throne to her, mm. who was not only not, not only not royal, but not even noble. I mean, she was literally a peasant's, a peasant's daughter. And she became the first empress in her own right um, in modern history. And really that is, I mean, forget Napoleon Bonaparte, Catherine the first is the most meteoric rise of any person in 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 you know in in the last history of the last five hundred years. And then after her, we go to Elizabeth. Yes, well, Elizabeth Elizabeth is just um, was the daughter of of Catherine of Catherine the first and uh, and Peter the Great. So she was Peter the Great's daughter. So she was a giant. She was she was what we call a glamazon these days. Uh, she was blonde, blue-eyed. She, she rather rather than Catherine the Great, it was Elisabetta who was really a kind of great sexual enthusiast and liked to have many lovers at the same time. And because she was the emperor's daughter, she did exactly what she liked in life. Um, she was she was also, I think, intelligent and able, and actually really laid the foundations for Catherine the Great. Um, she was really one of the first great female rulers. Uh, of um of, of modern times and uh she but she was also cruel like her father she had she was she could be very she could be she could be very cruel she had um one of her ladies in waiting she had her head shaved when she was jealous of her hair another um she had her tongue pulled out so she could be extremely cruel and she was a pretty frightening character but she could also she also loved cross dressing so she was there's something rather intersectional about her, as we'd say today. And she loved dressing as a man. And when she had balls, she made all the, the men dress as women and all the women dress as men because she had a very good leg. And in those days, um, you, you know, men's legs were very admired, but you never saw women's legs, obviously, under these huge dresses. But she had rather good ones, so she wanted to show them off. So, um, so she made everyone cross-dress, which is extremely modern, isn't it? I think, but then she she doesn't have an heir, so she has to go looking for one. And unfortunately, and I've been accused of really not giving this next Romanov to enough credit, but I just can't see where it is to give, if I'm honest. Do you agree or disagree? 
Yes, there's nothing. There's, there's, there's Peter the Peter the Third, Emperor Peter the Third, who was her nephew, um, succeeded uh, Elizabetta, and he was really wet. without. <laughs> but he was. I think he was worse than wet. He was vicious. I mean, he was vicious, and he managed in six months. He managed to alienate every single part of Russian society: uh, the nobles, the church, the people. Uh, the foreigners, everybody, the women. He alienated everybody in a very short time by being an extremely, you know, obnoxious character. I wonder, you know, I wonder if he was mentally, you know, he was, if he was mentally challenged in some way. You know, we, it's hard to it's hard to tell, but he was. There seems to be a distinct lack of any cognitive reasoning, doesn't there? A uh, lack of he, he lacked empathy. You know, he lacked empathy. He couldn't read people, and that was a, it. Was a very dangerous. Uh, very dangerous faults to have. Ruling Russia is all about a ferocious vigilance at all times, and that ferocious vigilance requires a bit of paranoia, but it also requires subtle reasoning and the and the ability to win people over at all times. And the great Russian rulers could do that using a mixture of terror and favour. But um, but he but he really he really couldn't and. He was unlucky in that he married a 14-year-old German princess from a minor principality who was left on her own in Russia at 14 years old, not speaking Russian, but she learned Russian very quickly. And she, of course, was really, you know, the star of the 18th century, probably the greatest female ruler in all of history, Catherine the Great. Absolutely. Um, it's just a pity for him that he, he married a competition he absolutely could not beat. He could not beat her. Catherine the Great was had everything that he didn't. And the strange thing was that you know she she wasn't even Russian, as you know, she's German. But but she she was she was first of all she was she was attractive. Um, she had you know she had lovely auburn hair, um, good lips, good blue eyes. But she was also intel- highly intelligent, highly intelligent, almost a nerd in her reading. Mm. Yet she was also highly physical. Uh, uninhibited, sensual, sensual, energetic. And then she had something else which is so essential in politics, charm. She could charm anybody. Um, she, she famously made friends with all that she, she made friends with all the men. All the men wanted her and she used them and chose who she liked. Uh, she was a great enthusiast for, for, for sex and for friendship, by the way. She was a great friend to have. She was loyal to her friends forever. She wasn't promiscuous for its own sake. She was, she believed in love and she was, she was really, she said, I, I can't be an hour without being in love, without love. And she was really a serial monogamist, what we'd call today, but she was also extremely tactical. So when she was a teenager at the Russian court, she made friends with all the old ladies at court. She realized that they were very important and she learned the name of all their dogs and parrots and cats. And, you know, she understood that it's detail, it's personal contacts that make the difference in politics. Politics is about people. And she understood that. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I have always had a soft spot for Alexander I. Well, Alexander I was, was, Catherine's, was Catherine's grandson and... She also, like Peter the Great, like Ivan the Terrible, she hated her son, Paul. And Paul the Mad succeeded her as emperor. And everyone predicted, and she predicted, that he wouldn't last long as emperor. And sure enough, he was assassinated in the most brutal assassination, where people hated him so much that when his assassins, first of all, they strangled him, but then they literally took turns stomping on his head until it was crushed. That's how much they hated him which is quite something. Um, so his successor was his son, Alexander I. And Alexander I had agreed to the killing of his own father. So this is, the Romanovs are quite a family. You know, this is a family where you've got, um, you've got, you know, sons killing their fathers, fathers killing their sons, wives killing their husbands. You've got, tr- tr- you've got cross-dressers. You've got... Um, it does make Game of Thrones look pretty lame at times, doesn't it? Yes, you've got you've got many sort of threesomes and menage a trois with two women and men, and I mean you could go on, but but um, Alexander the First was is much underrated, and I think you're right because because he was up against Napoleon. You know, no one was as brilliant as Napoleon, and Napoleon was a self-made man, and Alexander the First was no, was nothing like as talented as as Bonaparte, uh, but he learned his lessons. I mean, he screwed up. He he screwed up very badly at the very at great battles against Napoleon, against at, at the Battle of Austerlitz, because he wanted to be Peter the Great. He wanted to be a great commander. They all did, and he wasn't. He just wasn't. But once once he'd survived the, the burning of Moscow and the fall of Moscow uh, by Napoleon, he had a, he suddenly found strength and a certain a certain determination. And he put together the, the coalition that destroyed Napoleon. And he led his armies from Moscow all the way to Paris. And he took Paris. That's quite an impressive, uh, quite an impressive performance. And, you know, on top of that, you know, he brought, he really did bring Russia to the, to the top table as a great power. And it's interesting because when Joseph Stalin in 1945 took Berlin, the American ambassador said to him, um, he said to him, congratulations, congratulations, Generalissimo Stalin, you, you took Berlin. And Stalin, quick as a flash, said, yes, but Alexander I took Paris. Did he then, though, decide he'd had enough of all that and fake his own death? I don't think he did. I think he died. But, but he is a, one of those great mysterious characters. I mean, he specialised in being mysterious. When you're brought up at the court of Catherine the Great, 
And then at the court of your father, Mad Paul, who who was really a brutal, brutal um, curmudgeon, you, know, you learn the art of um, the art of hiding your feelings, of masking your feelings. And in fact, all life at the Russian court at all times, including now with Putin and 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 earlier with the Soviet leaders too, was all about masking your real, real views. That's essential at the Russian court. Do you think? that Russia's history would have turned out to be different had Alexander II not been assassinated when he was? Yes, I think it could have been different. I do believe that, I do believe that personalities can change history. I mean, you see that, you know, we'll come, I'm sure we'll come to the Russian Revolution a bit later, mm-hmm. but you see that with Lenin, clearly. I mean, Lenin, it, you know, without Lenin, um, the Bolshevik Revolution wouldn't have happened. Uh, without Stalin... The Russian revolution, the Russian revolutionary Soviet state, the Soviet Union, I don't think would have, would have lasted in the way that it did. Um, so there are, there, there are examples where, where men really do, men and women really do have, have an influence. And I think Alexander II, he was planning to bring in a sort of representation, representation, a sort of representation assembly that would have led to more. He was a liberal, a sort of liberal. So he still believed in autocracy, but he could have, you know, he, he he could have changed, he could have changed history. I mean, he was he was really kind of looking at sort of reforms in a Europe where Napoleon III and Bismarck had both brought in universal suffrage, you know, and and kept autocracy. So bringing in a sort of um, a sort of assembly um, didn't necessarily mean he was planning to to to, to deconstruct. Russian autocracy, but it was a start, and I think it could have changed, could have changed the whole history of Russia. And Lenin, by the way, who, you know, obviously was a brilliant student of power, thought that it could have gone either way. So that was that's interesting, and I agree with Lenin on on this occasion. Yes, it's on this occasion. Not always. Not always. (laughs) I don't always agree with Lenin, but in this case, I think he was right, and I I respect his, his point of view. I have to say, brief though he is, I, anecdote worthy is Alexander III, isn't he? Um, I love the one about the Austrian general saying he was going to send X amount of division, uh, divisions into Russia um, and him tying a spoon in a knot and throwing it on his plate and saying, well, that's what I'm going to do to your divisions. And of course, there's the ripping the roof off the train as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was actually, he was unintelligent. And he was physically a giant. He could lift, that's right, he lifted up the train. Uh, he lifted up the roof of the train when, his, when people were trapped under it. He was immensely strong. He could tear up kind of phone books and packs of cards. Um, so he was, a sort of, he, was, he was literally a giant and very strong. Um, but he was also really a, a, really a capable ruler. He sort of understood how to manage people. Um, though everyone was terrified of him. He was... He was really the czar also that really introduced fetishistic, obsessional anti-Semitism mm. to, to the, and the, the Romanovs that always disliked Jews. But Alexander III really, you know, you mentioned the trains. I mean, for example, when he was driving his train, it was train was going too slowly. He said, obviously, the Jews, are, somebody, the Jews are driving the train. Tell them to go, you know, tell them to go faster. Even that he blamed on the Jews. He hated the Jews. And he brought up his, his son, Nicholas II, to absolutely hate the Jews. And, you know, these, this was, this attitude 
was not just was not just racist, but it was also deeply unwise. But you know, Alexander the Third was an interesting character too because he really died of alcoholism and he was a huge drinker. And when the doctors and his wife banned him from drinking, he designed a special boot that contained um, uh, flasks of vodka that he could drink. Uh, so that even when he was um, even when he was supposedly not drinking, he could just reach into his boot and find there a secret a secret stash of of booze. And Trotsky said, you know, if he hadn't been an alcoholic, Russian history would have been different because because he was capable. He could hold together. He probably could have held together Russia much better than his very wet son. This is the problem, isn't it? I think you can, with that kind of attitude, works if you are a huge, terrifying man. If yeah. you are Nicholas II, I mean, so I I did a book on George V in the First World War, and to me, I think I just coined Nicholas as the wrong man with the wrong temperament in the wrong point in history and the wrong place. Like Russia, when it's falling apart, yeah. the the onset of the First World War, he wants to be an autocrat like his father and be his father, but he just also doesn't ever want to offend anybody to their face, so that's never going to work. And then so we have utter disaster, don't we? Yes, I mean he was so. Well, you 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 summed it up very well. I mean he was he was he was um he was first of all sort of physically very unimpressive, which really matters in Russia for some reason. You know, mm. really, you know, the machismo. Um, is really important in in Russian rulers, and you only have you to, only look, to at, look at Putin with his shirt off in the lumberjack yeah, thing, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You see Putin in his, you know, you Putin hunting hunting tigers, um, diving, riding horses bareback, all of that. It's very, very important. I mean, Peter the Great was out there. You know, he could he could he could cut down trees. He was, you know, he could he could fire guns. He could build ships. Um, and you even have to look at sort of you even have to look at Yeltsin, you know, to see in our time, you know, just he was a drunk, of course, but he was an impressive, big man, you know, a, a, a real mujik, as they say, as they, they say in Russia. But he, but you know, Nicholas had none of that. But he was also, um, he was also rigid, unimaginative. He was not unintelligent. He was more intelligent than his father, I think. But he was also um, extremely arrogant, extremely inflexible, and worse than that, he really did believe in 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 his religious mission to rule Russia as an autocrat. And that was that was a problem. Another problem was that he was he was extremely duplicitous. I mean his image, because he died in the way he did, is of a sort of noble martyr that should have you know, but actually I think he was a very unpleasant man really. Um he was very polite. People said they'd never met a polite man. So he had beautiful manners, beautiful voice, beautiful blue eyes. Um but behind your back he'd immediately betray you. So his ministers didn't trust him. And they compared him to Emperor Paul, the mad, because you never knew where you were with him. He'd, he'd be very friendly to you. And when you go home, and someone else would sack you. So yep. he under, no one trusted him. No one trusted him in his, own, in his own government. And that was to be a huge problem later when, you know, when, when, the, when Christ, the crises came. And the sort of faffy multiple attempts at dispersing power that didn't ever really please anyone entirely and then backtracking on it as well he just I mean, he did really dig his own grave didn't he his first if he died after if he died before 1905 just in, if he died in 1904 after 10 years he would have been regarded as quite successful because mm. you know he'd he'd expanded russian power into manchuria and korea 
And that was really the only way it was left for Russia to expand. And Russia, a Romanov czar, um, it was in his blood to command in battle and to expand the empire at all times. That was, it was unthinkable that a Russian czar could be anything but the ruler of a great power and an expanding empire. And so he found the only way it left him was to go east. But the trouble was that he encountered a rising power, Japan, there. That led um, to the war, which he handled appallingly. And that led to the 1905 revolution, where he had to concede. Uh, he had to concede a constitution, which he hated to do. So he spent the rest of, the, the rest of his the next seven or so years clawing back power um, to, to regather his autocracy. And he did that very, very effectively, actually, surprisingly. So by 1914, he was once again autocrat in effect, and he'd really, he'd really um, held all the levers of power. But of course, just like Kaiser Wilhelm II, um, his enemy in Germany, and his cousin, um, he just wasn't capable of handling you know, the, the very complicated task of running a modern war. Well, especially then, not when he detaches himself to go to headquarters, and that's the worst possible place. Um, he, I think he sealed his own fate when he left the capital. That's yes, always I mean, been my he, opinion. But. Yes, it was a big mistake when he went to the army. Mm. But I've got to remember that actually no one knew how to fight World War I when it started, and he wasn't alone in that. I mean, if you remember, Asquith couldn't really fight World War I. He had to be, he had to be replaced by Lloyd George. Yeah. Um, the three days off a week didn't help, did they? <laughs> the long weekend he still wanted. Yeah, and even the Germans, who really kind of did more than any other country to sort of promote the war at the beginning of it, to launch the war, even they, um, they actually couldn't run it. And the Chancellor, Bethmann Holweg, and then and the Kaiserville in the second, they couldn't run the war either, and they were replaced by Hindenburg and Ludendorff. And the same happened in France when they had to bring in Clemenceau. So... And every, all the combatants actually did not know how to fight a war. And so that wasn't, that wasn't what made, that wasn't, um, what made Nicholas II unique. What, what made it bad was he, he, he could not adapt. And he actually got worse and worse and more and more isolated and more and more rigid as the war went on. He did indeed. I have to ask you, is it Catherine? Is she your favourite Romanov? Um, yes. Catherine and Potemkin are my favourite too. I mean, that's, that's such a romantic relationship and such an amazing political partnership, which is so rare between a man and a woman. And because the woman was the sovereign, um, the man wasn't completely dominant, which is unusual, of course. And yet what was remarkable about her was she chose someone to help her who was as brilliant as her, as talented as her, as, as intelligent and capable with the same acumen and the same vision and so what you get is something so unusual, isn't it? Because we're so used to sort of couples where, you know, Eva Perron or, or Napoleon and Josephine, where actually it's, it's all about the man, really. Um, but this, because of the circumstances and because Catherine was the, was the ruler and the autocrat, um, it was a relationship that was so complicated and yet strangely equal. And their love letters, which are all in the book, of, uh, or, uh, if you want to read them, are a mixture of, you know, sexual passion, um, but also pragmatic politics, power. So there's just they're just about everything, everything in life, from from power and art and war and love and sex to hemorrhoids and health. 
<laughs> so everything, all life is in these letters. And, you know, you'll see, you can hear the way they talk, which is a wonderful thing. So I think Catherine is my favourite, probably, yes. But I, I have a soft spot for Alexander II, too. For trying. Ah, <laughs> uh, he was just more decent than most. Mm. They were, I mean, the, the, the Romanovs are, are really a, a pretty monstrous power family. And they really would do pretty much anything to keep power. Uh, they were very brutal. They were very racist. They were very uh, unsympathetic, a lot of them. I mean, Nicholas I, we haven't mentioned, was very, very much like uh, Vladimir Putin in his sort of... His I always best. found him quite unsavoury. Yeah, he was, a, he was an unpleasant... He's sinister, unpleasant isn't he? Man. Yeah. And he was, he was like Putin. He just took advantage of um of westerns western fecklessness and was actually very very effective you know very effective a great opportunist though of course he was destroyed in the end by the crimean war but that, that's another story isn't it it is a week i could go on all day simon thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about the romanovs people have been bugging me and i know i've been bugging you as well um but thank you for coming on to lovely. talk to us it's through been... 300 years of amazing history well it's lovely to be here on your on your um on your on your site doing a podcast with you let's do lots more and that's been really nice talking to you definitely and next time you can pick the topic I won't railroad you with your with my favourite Romanovs. Okay, you're on. Deal. Thank you so um, much. What are you working on now? You're doing a new book, aren't you? I'm doing all sorts of different things, actually. I'm not ready to talk about it quite yet. But I'll tell you what I have done, because I'm not quite sure if I, where it's going to go. But what I have done is I've done a new... I've, I've been writing... One thing I've been writing, and it's just coming out, is, is, is a new version of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, the biography. And the original, the one that came out in 2012, went up to, to the year 2000. But I've updated it to now. So it goes right up to um, Trump and Obama and Netanyahu and Arafat and, and even, even um, MBS and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. So it's really up to date and it's coming out right now. Oh, I mean, brilliant. A new, a new, um, a new edition updated. So that's one of the things I've been doing, and that's been fascinating. Amazing, and we look forward to hearing about the other thing when you're ready to share. Uh, I can't wait. Join us tomorrow when Helen Doe will be with us to talk all about smuggling. This is absolutely brilliant. This is exactly what I wanted. It was tales of naughty people down in Devon and Cornwall and bringing things over from France, when, why, how, and uh, what happened to the industry. So don't miss out on that one. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.